0: welcome to all things cardio oncology this is the podcast of the international cardio oncology society and we are just off our 2021 global summit where we had uh, last week over 400 people from 34 different countries over two days for a series of really outstanding meetings uh, both informational and inspirational and i want to welcome again my co host, Dr. Arjun Ghosh. Arjun, say hello and introduce yourself.
1: Thanks so much, Steve. My name is Arjun Ghosh. I'm a consultant cardiologist at Bart's Heart Center and University College London Hospital, and I run the cardiology service at UCLH.
0: Great. Welcome again, as always. And uh, today, we're going to be discussing the role of the advanced heart failure physician in cardio-oncology, and we have two experts with us today to address this topic. I want to welcome uh, Dr. Darini Ramu, who is Associate Professor of Medicine at the Medical University of South Carolina. She's practicing advanced heart failure and leading the cardio-oncology program and serving as co-medical director of the cardiac ICU there. And our second guest is Dr. Richard Chang. Richard is associate professor of medicine and cardiology and adjunct associate professor of radiology at the University of Washington in Seattle, the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. He's also the program director for the Advanced Heart Failure Fellowship and director of the Cardio-Oncology Program. So I want to uh, welcome both of you. Thank you so much for joining us. And I wonder, uh, Dharini, could you begin by just telling us a little bit more about your background and sort of how you got interested and involved in cardio-oncology?
2: Hi, Stephen. Thank you so much uh, to you and Arjun for having me here. It's really a a pleasure to be here uh, and talk about something that I'm very passionate about. So again, I'm an advanced heart failure cardiologist and um, which is a really, really fascinating field. What really drove me to this field was my um, understanding of and the desire to learn more about hemodynamics, uh, end-stage heart failure and really the advances in this field. Um, And one area that has particularly caught my attention and something that I've really delved into in the past few years is cardiac oncology. Uh, The number of patients with previous cancers or cancer treatment related heart disease that I've had the opportunity to take care of and, and, and sometimes the frustrations of taking care of these patients just because of The roadblocks that we face, the challenges we face of treating these patients um, is something that really drove me to take this on more as an interest both clinically and research-wise and something that uh, gave me an opportunity to form and lead the cardiac oncology practice here. There is a significant intersection of uh, advanced heart failure and cardiac oncology as I'm sure um, all of you are aware. And so it really gives me the opportunity to pursue both passions. And and so that's how I I got into this.
0: Thank you so much. That's a helpful background for us to understand. And Richard, same for you. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up working in cardio-oncology?
3: Yeah, no, thank you, Stephen Arjun, for this invitation. Great. So I'm also a heart failure cardiologist by training. And I came to University of Washington about eight and a half years ago. What I noticed here is we have a very large cancer center in the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, and Fred Hutch. And they have a large number of patients who were suffering adverse events from treatments, and including significant heart failure. They were hospitalized. And what we found is that there was not a set team of cardiologists working closely with them. And for me, it was a clear need. I started working very closely with them about six years ago now. Um, and we grew our team to uh, currently there's four cardiologists and APP and work very closely with the cell Cancer Care Alliance. But in addition to as an advanced heart failure cardiologist, what we found is the same question seems to come up very frequently at our weekly selection meetings where a patient will have either have a history of cancer or they have some low grade malignancy. And the question always arises on whether advanced therapies is an option for the patient who suffers severe heart failure either pre-existing before their diagnosis of cancer or because of a consequence of chemotherapy or radiation therapy. And I think this is a very real question. In addition to that, we find that in many of our long-term survivors of heart transplants, malignancy really comes to the forefront and how best to manage these patients. So for these really focus areas. It's what really drove me into focusing a lot on the field of cardio-oncology.
0: Thank you so much. That's, again, helpful helpful context for our conversation today. And I know you've both recently published articles in in this area of heart failure um, and cardio-oncology. So, Arjun, you have some questions for them about uh, the work that they've recently been involved in.
1: Thanks, Steve. Uh, I do indeed. Um, thanks also, uh, Dharani and Richard for those uh, very nice introductions, which gives the audience a good idea of uh, how you got into this, this area. Um, maybe, uh, Dharani, if I could start with you. Um, I think Richard has maybe touched on this slightly, but um, maybe if I could ask you specifically, what do you think the role of the advanced heart failure physician is in cardiology? oncology?
2: Absolutely, I'll be happy to. Uh tell you what I think. You know, cancer treatment-related um, cardiotoxicity is a significant cause of morbidity and mortality in cancer survivors, and it can lead to end-stage heart failure. Many of these patients are young and otherwise healthy, and so they deserve every chance at treatment options that would improve their cardiac status. And there's a lot that we can do in the advanced heart failure world, whether it be providing them with goal-directed medical therapies device therapies in heart failure, such as cardiac resynchronization therapies, valvular interventions, and uh, if necessary, advanced heart failure therapies. Again, as an advanced heart failure cardiologist and a cardiac oncologist, it's often heartbreaking to see somebody who was unfortunate enough to be diagnosed with cancer, lucky enough to survive cancer, and then be dealt with another blow of being diagnosed with heart failure. And just with the advances in the field of heart failure as well as advanced heart failure therapies, I think heart failure physicians have a really big role in treating these patients from very early stages of diagnosis of heart failure to uh, everything that involves their heart failure care, including providing an evaluation for advanced heart failure therapies and managing them after that.
1: Great, thanks uh, so much, Tony. And maybe Richard, if I could uh, just ask you, you know, specifically on the advanced um, heart failure side, you know, where where do you come in, and um, you know, how is it different with uh, cancer patients compared to your other advanced heart failure patients?
3: Yeah, I feel like this is something that arises on almost daily basis. I, I like to think of cardio oncology as being very bidirectional. Um, I know some people refer to this as reverse. Cardoncology oncology versus, you know, standard cardio-oncology, but essentially I think there's two clear subsets of patients for which an advanced heart failure provider can be helpful. The first one is the cardio-oncology patient with heart failure in the sense that, you know, these are cancer patients who get treated and develop significant heart failure or shock, and I think the second group are patients with pre-existing heart failure who have cancer issues which need to be evaluated for advanced therapies. So I think in the former um to give you an idea of this you know we recently had several patients with breast cancer and i know this is not super common but these patients received the standard dose stents ac and they came in in fulminant cryogenic shock and a question for these patients became, you you know, they had refractory shock. They ended up supported with Impella, one of them on ECMO. There were two different patients that we saw recently. The question becomes these patients with early stage localized breast cancer, would we offer them advanced heart failure therapies such as LVAD or transplants in the setting of active cancer? The challenge for this is, you know, with the current guidelines, um, there isn't clear guidance in terms of what to do with these patients. I, I think the other set of patients that fall within this group, and we're gonna see more and more of this, are the patients who come in with fulminant myocarditis secondary to immunode ch- um checkpoint therapy. And as you know, there was the recent um paper showing that ICI can be very effective in patients with triple negative breast cancer. So at our sensor, for example, our breast cancer group started using this as first-line therapy, and many of the breast cancer patients who expect to see more and more of these patients. Because there's so much shared immunology you know, and pathophysiology with transplant rejection, when you look at this on a pathophysiological level with lymphocyte infiltration as well as treatments, I think the heart failure provider can be very effective from this regard. Touching on the second point regarding advanced heart failure patients, with cancer issues. I think there's several different concerns for this. The first one is, can we consider LVAD as a bridging option in these patients, either for treatments or for really longer-term therapy? Obviously with cancer, we know that these patients are at increased risk for thrombosis as well as increased risk for bleeding. And these are definite concerns with LVADs. These you know drive much of the morbidity with LVADs long-term. Additionally, the question always arises for these patients with pre-existing cancer, how long do you have to wait or what's the optimal time before we consider these patients with heart transplants? Additionally, after transplant, how do we survey these patients, both short and long term, because long term, many of these will go on to develop significant
1: um, cancer. Great, thanks, Richard. So I think you've raised a number of uh, important points and maybe if I try and unpick some of them and and ask you uh, both for uh, a bit more information on that. So so maybe, Dharani, if I come to you first, um, Richard mentioned about the use of LVADs uh, in these patients, left ventricular assist devices and the like. And and I think in your recent paper, you you found that there was a relatively lower risk, uh, lower use um, in cancer patients. So um, do you want to tell us a bit more about what you found?
2: Yeah, I would be happy to. Um, so the, the paper that we published in Jack Cardiac Oncology earlier this year was a large analysis of the UNOS, or United Network for Organ Sharing uh, Registry Database. Now, this is a database of all solid organ transplants, heart, and other um, organ transplants that happen in the United States and captures a lot of granular information in terms of patient comorbidities, cancer history, uh, their utilization of heart failure therapies, their post-operative course with transplant, and so on. What we were interested in looking at was how do patients with adriamycin associated cardiomyopathy do as compared to patients with other forms of cardiomyopathy? And so we chose the era of 2008 to 2018 uh, to encompass the era of continuous flow LVADs. In addition, we chose our patient population to exclude those who did not have a previous transplant, who had uh, congenital heart disease, restrictive cardiomyopathy, and so on, who were less less likely to be candidates for LVAD. Um, So this analysis ended up including over 18,000 adult patients undergoing single organ heart transplantation and uh, included 357 heart transplant recipients with adriamycin-associated cardiomyopathy. As you can imagine, this is a very small fraction of the entire heart transplant population and thus we really need such registry studies to gather an adequate sample from which to draw conclusions. The key findings from our study where that the recipients of adriamycin associated cardiomyopathy undergoing heart transplant were more likely to be younger. They were female and had less comorbidities, particularly such as diabetes. Interestingly, they also underwent less LVAD as a bridge to transplant, Uh, despite having higher pulmonary vascular resistance, which is a very interesting finding because in a heart failure world, we always worry about the right ventricle. And we we know that a higher pulmonary vascular resistance is associated with right ventricular dysfunction post-transplant. And despite this, the patients with Adriamycin-associated cardiomyopathy had comparable post-transplant survival to those with dilated and other forms of ischemic cardiomyopathy. And most interestingly, they had no difference in death from malignancy up to five years. I think the key message from our study is one of validation, that patients with Adriamycin-associated cardiomyopathy with end-stage heart failure are likely to have outcomes similar to those with other forms of cardiomyopathy with a heart transplant, and should not be excluded from the possibility of benefit solely on the basis of their cancer history.
1: Yeah, so you make a really interesting point there that uh, the outcomes are actually comparable between the anthracycline cardiomyopathies and the other recipients of, of such therapies. But I think that uh, there is still a reluctance of maybe general physicians, doctors, and even some cardiologists to be referring um patients with active cancer or cancer treatment for advanced heart failure therapies. Uh, I don't know, Richard, um, what what your thoughts are in this area. And um, I think you you potentially looked at this also in your paper.
3: Yeah, I think that's a very valid question. And and I think there's two very different groups here because I I think for patients who are either intermediate or long-term cancer survivors who suffer delayed effects or antracycline or radiation, In general, most centers will consider these patients for advanced therapies, including transplant. I I think the biggest concern in these groups are those who received metastinal radiation because of the surgical risk. The bigger question is really in the more acute cohort. So what do we do with the patients, as you alluded to, with active cancer? Um, These patients, whether they get anthracyclines or other therapies that result in acute heart failure, I, I think these patients are much more difficult in terms of decision making. I always recommend referral to coordinated Care Center because you really need a multidisciplinary team that can work together to manage these patients, including a cordial oncologist, a heart failure provider, as well as a surgeon and oncologist, as well as the ancillary staff, because these are very difficult questions and you really need everyone's input to really decide on the best course for these patients.
1: Yeah, and I think in your paper you, you have touched on this already. You talked about this, you know, two-way relationship, reverse, you know, uh, cardio-oncology between, you know, heart uh, transplantation and cancer. So, uh, do you want to just uh, tell the listeners um, something about that?
3: Yeah. So again, I think specific to heart transplant, the relationship is also very bidirectional, as we know many patients with cardiac disease as well as cancer, there's many shared underlying risk factors, whether it be inflammation or other pathophysiological mechanisms. Uh, in particular for transplant, patients with a history of cancer, whether it's their long-term survivors or more acute, they're going to be much higher risk for developing subsequent cardiomyopathy, whether it's direct effects in chemotherapy or because of lifelong line- risk from cardiometabolic risk factors. For these patients, I think, you know, the question becomes what the optimal timing is. The other thing to keep in mind is that after heart transplant, these patients do need surveillance um, either for recurrence of disease or secondary cancers. And very long-term, we know that malignancy will exceed graft failure even in patients with heart transplant. For example, many of these patients with a post-transplant lymphoproliferous disease or skin cancers that can actually limit their survival. Um, For this reason, again, it goes back to there being needing to be a really multidisciplinary group to co-manage these patients. I can tell you at our center, we started a solid organ transplant cancer program with the Cell Cancer Care Alliance where now we jointly see these patients with a history of cancer being considered for any solid organ transplant or solid organ transplant recipients who develop cancer afterwards in terms of how do we modulate their immunosuppression to decrease their long-term risk. So I think you you really need a team-based structure to co-manage these patients.
1: Great, and then from the point of view of training and education, I mean, I know that lots of centres, of course, have advanced heart failure you know therapy uh, options, lots of advanced heart failure specialists, but uh, maybe their exposure to, to patients with um, cancer may not be as much as um, non cancer patients. So, in in terms of you know those listening, if they did want um, you know further education or training in this regard. Um, you know, what would be the best options to to help achieve that? Uh, Maybe Dharini, if I could start with you.
2: Yeah, um, I think it's important to recognize that the the number of patients with cancer and cancer treatment-related cardiotoxicity that we see in the advanced heart failure world is only going to increase with advances in cancer therapies. And as an advanced heart failure cardiologist, it is really essential that we are familiar with the impact of cancer and cancer therapies and the particular nuances of managing these patients as we take care of their heart failure, work them up for advanced heart failure therapies. And so it is important that we train future advanced heart failure cardiologists in this. And the way we do that here in our program really is a dedicated time for the advanced heart failure fellow in our cardiac oncology clinic on the council service, co-managing these cardiac oncology consults and uh, with participation in our multidisciplinary selection committee meetings, where we go into in-depth review of the patients, their cancer histories and review literature to see how best we can support these patients.
1: Great. And I think um, apart from the advanced heart failure trainees, I suppose, Uh, those who are training in cardio-oncology, maybe from coming in it from an interventional angle or maybe imaging angle or EP angle. Uh, uh, Richard, I mean, do you think that they should have some kind of um, exposure or how would they get exposure to this advanced heart failure aspect of of these patients?
3: Yeah, I, I think being at a center that offers advanced therapies, it may be helpful to attend some of the selection meetings, particularly when these high-risk cases are being discussed. Additionally, at the Tumor Board meetings, as you mentioned earlier, oftentimes because these cases involve such complex decision-making, they're often highlighted, it may be helpful for um, these individuals focusing more so on oncology than on advanced heart failure for them to attend some of these meetings. I I think from the other aspect also, from uh, advanced heart failure trainee perspective. Right now, chiroid oncology is not closely integrated into the curriculum and is not really, you know, required as part of the training, but I think it's certainly something that should probably be focused on moving forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. In terms of the ceilings of care for um, these patients, I mean clearly there's two aspects. One is from the advanced heart failure side and one is of course from, from the cancer side. So uh, do these patients have to be you know treated differently in terms of ceilings of care? or uh, you, know, I, I mean, do you have any kind of words of advice in general for how these patients should be managed differently to other advanced heart failure patients? Uh, Maybe, Dharani, if I could start with you.
2: Um, Yeah, I I, I know. I think that's a really important question because it takes a village to care for these patients, um, as it does in caring for any of our advanced heart failure patients. I think patients with previous cancers and uh, cancer treatment related cardiotoxicity, it is essential to involve the oncologist in managing their heart failure. We cannot do it without ongoing conversations with them. We need to understand the prognosis of the cancer. We need to understand the risk of recurrence, which especially post-transplant could be increased uh, when the patients are immunosuppressed. It is also essential that the cardiologists taking care of these patients have understanding of the cardiovascular impact of their cancer and cancer treatments. And most importantly, the role of various heart failure therapies and the response we can expect in this patient population. Uh, In addition, the cardiac surgeons are involved, especially as we plan for l and heart transplant surgery, because we need to pay particular attention to their surgical risk. Is there uh, particularly in the setting of previous chest radiation, a good understanding of their thromboembolism and bleeding risk, risk of infections and recurrent malignancy. And last but not the least, the patient and the caregivers should be involved in this conversation and decision making, because ultimately, they need to have a really good understanding of what their options are and decide together with their team on the best course for them.
1: Yeah, thanks, Tharini. That's a very, very nice uh, summary. Richard, maybe if I could um, just pick up on Tharini's last point about the, the patient and the caregivers. Uh, this these are often patients suffering from either heart failure who develop a, a, a cancer or the other way around and it can be quite devastating for them to have these two very serious conditions at the same time so h- how do you deal with this um, you know h- how do you know, you approach this very you know difficult situation for the patients
3: yeah I, I mean i think this is a huge burden for both the patient as well as the caregivers so at least our program, we advocate for, for very early involvement of the palliative care and supportive care service. Um, we we had published a piece on this um, maybe about a couple of years ago in um, Jack Credo Oncology, kind of highlighting the need for the shared decision-making process for the caregiver and the patient, as well as the integration of all the different um, sort of the team members because again, it goes back to these patients being so complex and they're already overwhelmed, for example, with their heart failure and if it progresses, the question becomes, for example, if a patient is going to receive more treatments, what, what the implications are for worsening heart failure um, as opposed to balancing you know, the risk from a cancer standpoint. So because of this, this creates a lot of uncertainty. So I strongly encourage ser- or very early involvement of the palliative care services for these patients.
1: Okay, thanks. And um, both of you, of course, have published quite widely already in this, um, you know, specific uh, niche area of cardio-oncology. But uh, maybe if I could uh, end uh, my questions by asking you both about what you think the big research questions uh, next to be answered in this area are. Maybe, Dharini, if I could start with you.
2: Um- I think that's a really important question because there's, just, there's still so much that we don't know and so much that we need to learn. A lot of these registry analysis that we have are based on patients who've had atriomycin-associated cardiomyopathy. And so do these findings apply to patients with other forms of cancer therapies, particularly with the new and evolving treatment regimens that we have, or even associated with radio, radiation-associated cardiomyopathy? And honestly, we don't know. We um, And we also don't know if patients who have previous malignancies, regardless of whether their cardiomyopathy is related to cancer therapy, do the same as patients who develop a cancer treatment-related Um We don't know what the outcomes are going to be based on the type of cancer, the time from ca- cancer diagnosis and uh, the time from remission or control of disease. Now these are kind of granular information that many of these registries do not include. And so perhaps it is time for a multi-institutional collaborative study where we can gather such granular information to really understand how best to manage these patients.
1: Yeah, that sounds like an excellent idea and maybe perfect for ICOS uh, potentially to to have a think about uh, getting involved with. Uh, Richard, uh, maybe if I could uh, ask you the same question about your thoughts on big research uh, questions in this field.
3: Yeah, so sort of aligning with the points made by Dorini, I, I think there really needs to be more sus- uh, collection of data in these patients because I think right now, if you look at these registries, whether it be transplants or LVAD, oftentimes it's very binary in terms of exposure, right? I mean, is it the patient, the they have cancer or not? There's no data on site-specific cancers. And in terms of regimens, it's that they receive chemotherapy or not, and that they receive anthracyclines or not. Really, it would be helpful to get down to nuances that we know these patients can have. For example, they m- might get tyrosine kinase numbers or other treatments that can impact your treatment course, which we don't really understand. There are, I think, some other areas that really need to be looked at further. In particular, I think the other question I always have is for these patients who do receive advanced therapies, which is a completely separate question. So, for example, for the LVAD patient or the heart transplant patient, how do we change their management? Do we need to you know, increase their surveillance. For example, for the LVAD patient with the emergence of newer devices, which are less prone to thrombosis, can we potentially deescalate their antiplatelet or their anticoagulation to really decrease the risk of bleeding in these patients, particularly when they are receiving active cancer treatments? Um, for example, we, we've had a number of patients who after getting their LVAD, um, they developed cancer and they went on to receive cancer therapies and then they had complications from this. You know, we don't have good data in terms of what we should be really doing with these LVAT patients as they get treated. Similarly, with the transplant patient, we know that long-term, if you switch them to serolimus or mTOR inhibitor, it decreases the risk for long-term malignancy. But um, the question is whether we should be doing this systematically in all patients or really in only the high-risk subgroups. So I think these are some areas that really need to be explored further.
1: Thanks, Richard. So it really seems that this is an exciting new area, I suppose, of uh, cardio oncology with a lot of different evolving treatments and um, both from the cancer side and, you know, potentially also in terms of the heart failure therapy side, a lot of scope for for research, education, training, and of course, you know, developing a career in this area. Uh, Thank you both so much for for answering uh, those questions and taking um, the audience through uh, really the breadth of cardio-oncology issues in advanced heart failure patients and, you know, the real... Uh, really important role that, um, you know, yourselves and other advanced heart failure specialists have to play in this area. Um, I'll hand back to
0: you, Steve. Thanks, Arjun. Um, I wonder if I could just piggyback on the last topic that was being discussed. One of the refrains I think I hear in these podcast episodes as we interact with people in all, all different realms in cardio-oncology is the need for, for more research, for better data related to cardio-oncology in particular. I wonder if, if either of you could just talk a little bit about what do you think are, are the main barriers to um, the kind of research and the kind of data collection that needs to be done, particularly in the field of cardio-oncology? What are some of the challenges there?
3: Yeah, I was gonna say, I think it always goes back to um, the issue with concerns for funding. Um, yeah. also whether there's an organization such as ICOS, which is wanting to uh, take this on in terms of developing a systematic registry to capture these patients.
2: I agree. I think it is uh, it is funding. It is recognition that of, for the need of the hour we, uh, to know that we need more data. We have some, but it's not enough. There are so many unanswered questions and we really need uh, support of multiple institutions uh, to be able to achieve that kind of Registry where we can have meaningful information.
0: Yeah, that's helpful. And thanks, Richard, for for the shout out to ICOS. That is an area that we're trying to do more work in. Um, I think you all know far better than I do the complexities of trying even to put together a a really solid registry with good data that is multi-institutional and then add in the complexities of trying to gather that across uh, the globe. But we, we do think we're poised to assist in, in developing some of those those research projects and we hope we'll be, be able to do so. So thank you both uh, so much for this fascinating conversation about another area of cardio-oncology that again, manifests, I think, the complexity of the field generally, but this is obviously a tremendously complex area. We'll put, uh, uh, links in the show notes to some of the papers that were mentioned today and if anyone would like more information about the international cardio-oncology society you can visit ic-os.org ic-os.org for more information on all our programs including our weekly webinars so Dorini and richard thank you both so much for being with us today
2: Thank you so much. It was my pleasure to be here and um, really thank you to the ICOS for leading such a phenomenal effort in this field of cardiac oncology and help develop these collaborations.
3: Great. Thank you so much for
0: having us. All right. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, stay safe. We hope to hear from you soon.